we have a lot of people on the road today. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it's great to have each one of you here this morning. And uh, let's keep in prayer those that are traveling. I know we have some in Florida. We have some in Michigan. We have some traveling here and there. And uh, maybe it's just getting past this winter. I think we're past winter. It doesn't feel like it today. But uh, anyway, but it's, it's great to have you here. And, uh, and we're going to take a, a few moments just to look into the Scripture this morning. Uh, you know, one of the great stories of Scripture is of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And their story shows how God becomes meticulously concerned, involved in the details of their lives, their past, their present, and even and for the purpose of their future. And how God gets involved in those circumstances for one purpose. And this is always the purpose of God's heart when it comes to human beings, when it comes to creation. He's a God who wants to redeem. And the story of Ruth and Naomi is about God's, the way God goes about redeeming our lives. Now, before we go too far, we want to take a moment just to get another handle, another grip on that word redeem. Uh, The word redeem simply means to buy something that has been broken, that has been damaged, and sometimes to pay a really good price for it in order to take possession of that and restore it, heal it, put it back together again. That's what the word redeem means. And uh, every Wednesday evening down in Lamont during the summer, uh, there is a car show, vintage cars from the 30s, 40s, 50s, etc. And every one of those cars is a redemption story. Uh, And the owners are standing beside those cars down there, and they'd be happy to tell you that story, how they were out and searching for this car, and they found this 1940 Ford of, you know, and I'm not into it that much, but you can tell. But they found this 1940 vehicle that was in some old uh, barn somewhere, hadn't ran in years, was rusted and fallen apart, the seats were all tattered, uh, And they take that thing, they pay a good price for it, they take it home to their garage, and with meticulous love and care, they begin to, with their skill, work on that thing to bring it back to its original beauty, back to its original function. And they're out on the road driving it and showing it off on Wednesday evenings to tell the story. That's redemption. And so this story of Ruth and Naomi begins way back in 1100 B.C., and in a very famous town in Israel, a very ancient town, the town of Bethlehem. And the story starts, there's a famine that hits Israel. Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons leave Bethlehem, and they go down into Moab, outside the nation of Israel, to find work and to find food. But things go from bad to worse. They haven't been there very long before Elimelech dies. And you can imagine the grief that brought to Naomi and the family. Uh, He was her husband. He was the breadwinner. They were in a foreign land. They were strangers. And now Elimelech's gone. But she still has her two sons. And so she she loves her two sons. They're her pride and joy. And uh, they they grow. They get married. But then within 10 years, the story goes on, both of her sons die. And here, Naomi is faced with triple grief in her life. Uh, Now, not long after this, Naomi hears that the famine ends in Israel. 
And so she and one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, make the journey back to Bethlehem, but with very broken, despairing hearts. When Naomi walks into town that day, uh, people are saying, there's Naomi. They begin to, to welcome her back. But you know what Naomi had to say? You know, how, you know what her response was? Well, you can find it in chapter 1, verse 20. It says this, don't call me Naomi. Now, Naomi, the name means pleasant, cheerful, happy. She says, don't call me that anymore. Call me Mara, bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi any longer? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So that's a good read on Naomi's attitude of heart at this time in her life. She was broken. She didn't see God working for her. She saw God working against her in allowing all this stuff that had come into her life to rob her. So, uh, but then when you read a little, in fact, you read the next verse, verse number 22, says something totally unknown to Naomi and Ruth that would change the course of their lives in history. And it's a simple statement that seems to have no bearing on the story. It just seems like a, an innocuous, meaningless statement. It, it just says, and they arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. But put that in quotes. Hold on to that for a second. Verse number two, or chapter number two, picks up the story. Ruth, knowing that they needed food, she says, let me go into the barley fields to glean some grain. Now, all the farmers in ancient Israel were commanded by God in the law as they harvested uh, to leave some food behind so that the gleaners, the poorer people, could come along and they'd be able to take that food home free of charge. That's what Ruth was doing. Verse number three says this, as it turned out, as it happened, put that in quotes, Ruth found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. Now, Boaz was, was from the same clan, the same family as Elimelech, her deceased father-in-law, Naomi's husband. Now, verse number four says this, just then, put that in quotes, we have this converging of details. They arrive at the beginning of barley harvest. Ruth walks out into a barley field. And then just as she arrives, Boaz from Bethlehem comes to greet all the harvesters. And then he sees this new woman, and he asks the foreman, who is she? The foreman says, well, she's Ruth the foreigner from Moab, come back with Naomi. And then the foreman fills him in on just the way Ruth has been taking care of Naomi and, and such a hard worker. And so he, Boaz, right away, he's impressed with her. He is attracted to her. And he tells the foreman to make sure that the harvesters out in front of Ruth, they leave extra grain behind so she can gather it up. And that's where the, the romance of this book of Ruth really comes into the picture. It's quite a romantic story. Well, anyhow, at the end of the day, Ruth comes home with a huge amount of grain, and Naomi asks her in verse number 19, so to speak, wow, what, whose field did you work in today? God bless the man who obviously was kind to you. And then Ruth says, well, it was a man named Boaz. And for the first time in years, Ruth probably saw Naomi's eyes just brighten up. And in verse number 20, Naomi, really excited, this is what she says. 
The Lord bless him. The Lord has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man, Boaz, is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Some translations say kinsmen or relative redeemers. Uh, now, stop there for just a second. You know, those are the first words in years where Naomi expressed any kind of faith any kind of hope, any kind of brightness that there was evidence, that she saw evidence of God's work in the details of her life, in her circumstances. Because for years, she had shut God out. Let's go on with the story. What, what is a kinsman redeemer? What, what was Naomi referring to? Well, in ancient Israel, according to the laws that God gave Moses, you can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, whenever a man died leaving his wife, a widow, a male relative who was next of kin would have the opportunity to marry her in order to continue the inheritance and to carry on the family name, to take care of his widow. And this relative was called a redeemer because he would pay the price to buy all of the land and property of the dead husband as well as to marry the widow, take care of her. And it was quite a lot to ask of any relative because there could be a huge purchase price to buying all that land and then having a son to carry on the name. And when that son reached full age, all that land and property would go to the son. And it would really leave that relative. He didn't get any gain out of this whatsoever. So Naomi's wheels start to turn when she knows that Ruth has met Boaz, a potential redeemer of their situation, a, a potential relative redeemer. Here's what happens. Uh, a few days later, Naomi begins to play matchmaker, and she tells Ruth to follow a custom among the people of Israel in those days uh, when they wanted to ask a kinsman, when they wanted to, to propose or appeal to a kinsman redeemer to, for marriage. Now, this was before the days of eHarmony.com, so this is completely strange, uh, and I wouldn't recommend this today. But anyhow, what she does is that Naomi tells her to go down to the barley field at nighttime while Boaz is asleep guarding the grain, sleeping by a big pile of grain, and lay down at his feet. And she did that. And then in the middle of the night, Boaz woke up, and he was shocked to see a woman lying at his feet. And as soon as he wakes up, Ruth springs up and says, in effect, Boaz, will you be our kinsman redeemer? Will you marry me? And Boaz is unmarried. And he's already been impressed by Ruth. And he says, immediately, he says, yes. But there's only one problem in the story. There is one relative who is closer to Elimelech as a relative than, uh, than Boaz is. And at that, you know, Ruth's heart must have just sort of sunk because everything looked like it was coming together really well right there. And uh, so Boaz wastes no time. The next day, he meets this other relative at the, at the city council, the town gate. And at first, this man says, yes, I'll go ahead and be the kinsman redeemer. But when he learns that he would also have to take care of Ruth, he says no, he declines. And Boaz is elated, and Ruth is elated. 
And so the story is that Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer, the relative redeemer, and he foots the entire bill to restore Naomi and Ruth, to bring them out of their sorrow, out of their poverty, to become their sustainer in life. He restored joy to their life. He, get, he brought hope back to their life. And the scripture says that Naomi went and changed her name back from Mara, bitter, to cheerful, to happy, to pleasant. Now, we come down to the end of this story of Ruth. And it, it, the book of Ruth ends in an extremely strange way. There's no other book in the Bible that ends this way. It ends with a genealogy, a family tree history of Boaz and Ruth that traces their ancestry back several, in fact, back about 600 years to a guy named Perez. Now, who on earth is Perez? And what, it, this is more seemingly meaningless detail that's listed in this book. Anyway, well, here's, here's what it all boils down to. Converging, this is, shows more of the converging of a great master plan that Naomi, Ruth, Boaz could have had no idea God was up to and how it involved their lives. But Perez was the son of a man named Judah who lived about 1700 B.C. Uh, Perez was, was born f from Judah, and Judah was the son of Jacob. We all know the name Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. He became the forefather of the people of Israel. And through the son Judah, Jacob made this most astounding promise, the greatest promise the world has ever known. Through the line of Judah, Jacob was promised that one day would come into the world the great Redeemer, Savior, Messiah of the world who would bring hope and salvation and redemption and healing to the entire planet. Well, this is what's unfolding here. So the way it worked, so that's why this genealogy is present here. Uh, Boaz was in the family tree of Judah. Perez was one of his, his great, 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 great grandfathers. And so down the line, 500 years from the time Perez lived, Boaz married Ruth. And they had a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son whose name we've all heard of, the famous King David, the greatest king in Israel. And then God gave a promise to great King David that someday from his lineage, continuing the line of Judah, would be born, the same promise that was given to Jacob, would come the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Savior, the Redeemer of the world. So this whole story is about not only the redemption of Ruth and Naomi, this is a story of redemption that reaches far, far, far beyond their lives. Ruth, Naomi, Boaz could not have seen this big picture going on that their lives were a part of. They couldn't have begun to imagine what God was doing there. He'd been working six centuries before, and it would be 11 centuries after the events in their lives before Jesus Christ would be born, guess where? in this very same city where this whole thing took place in Ruth and Boaz's life, in the town of Bethlehem. That's how God brings things together. Anyway, uh, the story in their lives and it was, is that, that God was redeeming their lives, but he had a picture of redemption far beyond. Now, I want to take just that summary. What do we learn? 
about how God works in our lives. Well, this is what I call it. We learned the lesson of the barley field. What is that? Well, the lesson of the barley field is this. It so happened that Ruth and Naomi returned to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And it turned out, it so happened, that Ruth found herself in the barley field of Boaz. And then it just so happened that Boaz came into the field right at that time. The lesson of the barley field is simply this, that the Lord is working specifically, purposefully, with perfect timing, even in the worst of times, through the hardest of days, through the hardest of seasons in your life. He is working in your life to bring about his grand design of redemption, his great and grand purpose, his healing, his work in your life that brings glory to him and and salvation to you. We live in a world, as you all know, I don't have to tell you this, we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world of pain. We live in a world where people that are innocent get hurt bad. That's, this world has gone off the rails ever since our first parents and Adam and Eve decided they could build a better world, didn't need God's help. And we're, we all live in that world today that's gone off the rails and is so painful and, and treacherous to live in. Naomi, Ruth, they lived in that world. They took some blows, some huge losses in their life. They couldn't see what God was doing. And you may not be in any better position today with all that's happening in your life. No better position than Ruth, Naomi, Boaz were to see the grand design of how God is working even in the painful circumstances of your life. You know, one barley field moment um, that Jill and I have looked back to and talk about quite a few times shortly after we moved to the northwest suburbs from Pennsylvania, 1979, the summer of 1979, uh, we knew that we needed to find a church that was nearby to attend. So we jumped in our car. That was Jill and our three kids, Julie, Joy, and Jimmy. And we drove uh, maybe two miles from the house, a mile from the house. We drove to the corner of Wolf Road and Euclid Avenue in Mount Prospect. And uh, it just happened that there was a phone booth at that corner. Now, this was before the days of Google and smartphones and GPS. I couldn't punch in my phone, you know, looking for a church. I had to go what everybody, I I went to the phone booth. And when I got into phone booth, those of you can remember, some of you probably never been in a phone booth here. Is that true? (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, in a phone booth, hooked onto a chain was always this big, thick telephone directory. So I got in there and went down and found Northwest Assembly of God. And the address was 900 North Wolf Road. And I thought, man, that's got to be really close to where I'm at. I'm on Wolf Road right here. Uh, so, I, and, and, if, and I was close. Uh, if I, there was a line of trees. And if I could have seen through those line of trees, I would have seen the church from the phone booth I was in. It was just one block further south. So standing there in that phone booth that day, little did I know that the discovery of that church would change my life, the lives of my family, 
And I would end up spending 20 years of my life as a pastor in that church. I had no idea that day. Because Jill and I had a totally different plan. Um, I was beginning to work on a master's degree. I had planned to come to Chicago, get my master's degree in three years, and be off teaching in, in a college somewhere. That was my plan. I had gotten a night job at UPS, 10 to 2 a.m. Jill had a job during the day at Allstate Insurance. So it was crazy. Uh, Our two older kids, Julie Joy, they were in grade school. Jimmy was only one or two years old. And so we, uh, we, he was in three places each day. (laughs) Well, he was with Jill part of the day. He was with me part of the day. And he was with a sitter part of the day. The way it worked was... uh, I, uh, I would get home from work at 2 a.m. from UPS. I would sleep till 7. I would rush off to class all morning. Jill would get the girls off to school, our son to the babysitter. Then she would go to work. I would get home at noon, pick up Jimmy, try to do some homework until Jill got home around 4.30 while watching Jimmy. And then I would try to get a couple more hours sleep before going back to UPS that night. And we did that for one year. And we were starting to unravel. And things were getting pretty tense in the Nichols house. Uh, And Jill asked me one day, and I don't blame her about this at all, Jim, are you sure that the Lord led you to Chicago? (laughs) She didn't say us. Are you sure about this? And the kids, for the first two or three years we lived in Chicago, they were always saying to us, when are we going to go home? Now, home wasn't Chicago. Home was Pennsylvania. When are we going to leave here? Uh, And so one night, when I got home from UPS, 2 a.m., I I was second-guessing myself. I was discouraged. And I thought maybe I had totally gotten my wires crossed and led the family into a disaster. Well, I was just basically saying, Lord, where are you in the details and circumstances of of our lives. Where are you? Didn't see any evidence. Well, we'd been attending Northwest Assembly for about a year by this time. We had gotten involved in the church. And one day, the pastor and his wife invited Jill and I to go out to dinner. And I thought probably, well, just, you know, wants to get to know us better. But halfway through the meal, uh, he invited me to come on to the team as one of the pastors. With the offer that I could serve full-time in the church and continue part-time working on my degree. And right away, I knew that this was, this was a door that God was putting in front of me wide open. It, made, it, sort of, it stabilized our lives, it stabilized our family situation, and it all began, it really all began in a phone booth. Something as normal uh, unextraordinary, ordinary as a detail like going into a phone booth to look up an address. That's where, that's a pivotal point that changed my life, our lives. Uh, and it was one of those barley field moments in my life to show me that the Lord had been involved all along. He had not abandoned us, even, so, even though some of those circumstances were just crazy and tough to get through. There was suffering. God was right there all the time. And that's the promise that we have in Christ. 
A person who places their faith in Jesus Christ and follows him, walks with him, trusts him, even when it's horrible. You can count on this truth. He is involved. He has not forgotten. He knows every detail. He is perfectly attentive to what is going on in your situation. And he has a plan. He has a plan for your life. And you will, you will see evidence of it. You may go through a long time and see no evidence, have no sense of God's presence anywhere near to be found. But he's there. And if you trust him and hang on to him, you will come to that day when you'll be in the barley field and you'll be able to look back and say, and it so happened, and it so happened, and it so happened. And God converges things and brings things together. And you get a, you get, you get a glimpse of how he is at work in your life. Jesus, of course, is the foundation of our redemption. He's the one that Ruth and Naomi, they were part of this grand scheme of redemption. The day that when Jesus would come and go to the cross for us and pour his blood out, pour his life out, so that we could come to a, to a Savior who would take control and leadership in our lives. And it is certainly uh, my prayer that every, every person in here has, has made that decision in your life to trust in this Lord that cares so much about your life. And so there's two things to take away from this message this morning. The first one is this. It is that invitation to receive into your life, to place faith in that great kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fits that perfectly. He is, the, he is our kinsman. Jesus Christ left heaven. He took on humanity. He identified with us. He became our relative. And he went to the cross to redeem all the brokenness and all the sin and all the sorrows of our lives. We come to him, he offers complete forgiveness, and not only that, he enters into our life and he begins to restore and put it back together and heal and, and give confidence in the sense that God has things under control. But the second thing we can take away is this, and this was so true in the lives of uh, Naomi and Ruth, uh, that the redeeming work that was being done in their lives extended far, far beyond just redeeming of their lives. It resulted in the redemption of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And they never even understood that. They never understood the significance of that. But, you know, the very same is true with you. Now, for years, Naomi, she was bitter. And what Naomi did was she went around spreading bitterness. And she, but Naomi, when Naomi had that turning point, and she opened her heart and allowed God to begin to redeem her life. Then she began to spread faith. She began to spread trust in God. She be, her whole life, uh, the cheerfulness and joy of God began to radiate out of her life. She had an influence in the redemption of other people in addition to what God did in her own life. It's the very same way with you and I. And something every one of us as followers of Christ must always remember. When we continue to trust Christ to be at work in our lives, even in those tough times, it's not only about his redemption of your life in that time. It is about the redemption of other people whom your life 
influences, whom your life is touching. And when, and when you come through the fiery trial, trusting Him, allowing His redemption work to go on, you become a great testimony, a great encouragement, a great influence in the lives of others. And you know, um, this, uh, was in, this was driven home to me again uh, at Dunkin' Donuts yesterday. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I went to Dunkin' Donuts yesterday morning, uh, and one of the great privileges I've had as a grandfather over many years now is I've, I've had the honor of taking each one of my five grandkids, the sixth one is on the way, uh, I've had the privilege of taking each one of my grandkids for one-on-one time to Dunkin' Donuts. And they get to pick out whatever donut they want, and I drink my coffee. I stay away from the donuts as much as I can. And, uh, and we sit there and have one-on-one sort of conversation. So yesterday, I had the first opportunity to take my youngest grandchild, my granddaughter Ada, uh, to Dunkin' Donuts. She's three years old, and uh, we sat there and had dialogue and talk. She's a good conversationalist. She really is. And, uh, and I also took with me uh, a book called Morris the Moose Goes to School, and while she was eating a donut, I read that book to her. Uh, but here's, here's what this all boiled down to. I was, as I was reflecting on that, you know, God has positioned me as a grandfather. And I know there's grandfathers and grandmothers and parents. He's positioned us to have influence in the lives of people around us, certainly in the lives of our children, in the lives of our grandchildren. And it just struck me again yesterday that I consider one of the highest values, one of the most significant reasons for my existence on this planet is to have redemptive influence, a, an influence in my children, my grandchildren, in Ada. I want to be one of those influences in her life that, that points her, a signpost toward God, toward toward the goodness of God and the kindness of God and the grace of God and, and that living a life of faith. I want to live that kind of a life before my children, my grandchildren, and before everyone else. And I think that sort of brings this whole story of Ruth down to a really practical moment, to a practical point. If I come to a place in my Christian life where I'm disillusioned with God, you know what? That's going to become, that disillusionment is going to be spread. It's going, to be, it's, it's going to be shared. So in those tough times, that's when we grab a hold of God. We take hold of the promise that He will never, ever leave us. He will never forsake us. He is, a, he is working His plan in your life. And we just need to trust Him with all of our heart and all of our soul. And the same kind of redemptive results that we see in this story that is put in the Bible for you and me to learn from and to read. That same God is meticulously at work in the details and circumstances of our lives too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for this great truth that no matter what's going on in our lives, Lord. Jesus, you said that you see the, the, the Father in heaven sees a sparrow that falls out of the sky. How much more he sees us. He even knows the, the number of hair 
that we have in our head. Lord, a God who's got such attentiveness to the details of our lives. Lord Jesus, help us never ever to doubt you. Help us, Lord, in that wrestling match with disillusionment or with disappointment in our faith. Lord, I pray that we'll surrender to you those disillusionments and those disappointments and that we will renew daily, renew our trust, daily renew our confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ is working a master plan in our lives. And that master plan will be shown to be the best of all possible plans. Heavenly Father, this really brings our faith down to the raw, cutting edge of faith, where we're just going to grab a hold of the Lord with raw trust. And Lord, I pray that that will be the commitment of every person in this room this morning. And Father, um, if there is one here this morning who is maybe searching this whole idea of God and Christ and salvation, I pray, Father, that you would speak to their life and, and draw them toward yourself and to the place where they will place their faith in your Son. And Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We pray that you'll be with us over these next moments as we continue to uh, turn our hearts toward you, to reflect upon you. And Father, uh, we give you praise. For these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.